So today I'm going to talk about the space between your ears. It's going to be a short sermon. <laughs> now I'm really talking about the space between my ears when I say something like that. I do apologize. But you know, it is the battleground. Our minds. In repentance and rest is your salvation, the prophet says. And, um, and yet they refuse to believe it and receive it. Just as uh, the Jewish leaders refused to receive the same word that was uh, brought to them by Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ. There is no real rest for us until we come to a place of repentance. What does that mean? I mean, literally it means that the mind is changed. We think differently. And I want to talk today about the faulty thinking that we succumb to. Well, I know I succumb to them. Some of you may also. But uh, to, re to repent and to reorient our thinking around truth that God has means that we, we go from independence from to full dependence upon Him. Away from self, self-dependence, self-pleasing, self-protection, self-prioritizing. And yet so easily we fall back into old ways and old patterns, both of thinking and behaving. That's why it's a battle. Have you ever, um, ever encountered somebody, you know, because we, we declare this wondrous truth that we, we are glorious beings created to bear the image of God and His very glory. That, that Christ has made us one and we are destined for glory. Like Lewis said, C.S. Lewis, he said, were we to see each other in our glorified state, we'd be tempted to worship one another. That is who we are. And you ever had a, sort of a, an encounter with somebody that causes you to think differently than that about them? And there's something inside you that kind of jumps up that wants to do something back to them. That's not really alive in terms of life-giving. You see, there's, there's an old battle going on within all of us. And the words from the prophet... <clears throat> when Israel was struggling, they were facing a very real enemy. They wanted to go back to Egypt, and many did. They wanted to go back to the place of captivity because actually that was more familiar. I'm used to that place. I'm aware of how things work. And there seems something better there than a future depending upon a God who doesn't seem to be showing himself as I need him to. And that's a, that's, that's a temptation for all of us. <clears throat> And it comes down to this issue of our thinking and of our minds. <coughs> Part of the, the call of Jesus upon us is to come to a continual daily renewal of the way we see reality. And he, he roots it in holding to his teaching where we would find truth that would free us. Fundamentally becoming people who love. But actually when we engage somebody who kind of says something, does something we don't like that upsets us, we, we see a vision for them that is better than what we've seen today. And there's something in us that God has given us that brings life to that person rather than wishes to sow death. Can we get a hold of that? 
So part of this growth is to no longer live and think like we once did. In fact, Paul put it like this, you must no longer live, as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. The mind, again, the way we think. Not just what we think or what we believe is true, but actually how we think, how we interpret. Because we all interpret through a kind of a... (coughs) I've lost the word now. But it's like a filter that we interpret everything through based upon our experiences. What about this picture? Next screen. Half empty, half full. Depends somewhat on your perspective. (laughs) Thank you, Bill. (laughs) I did want us to have a little bit of fun this morning. And and not take ourselves too seriously. But realize sometimes we just may be seeing things upside down from reality. And that's a humbling thing at times, particularly when we build our life upon it. Because there is a strong correlation between what we think to be true and how we interpret things and how we behave and how we give ourselves to people and the world around us. And I think we can know the truth about Jesus and believe it fully and yet struggle to trust it. Struggle to live as though it is true. And it's because of the problem of our head and how we think. It's what the writer Hebrews called the sin that so easily entangles us. Though we've been set free from that, those patterns are long established in us. In fact, a lot of research suggests that as children, we develop an, an, an understanding about the world and people and relationships at a very young age. And sadly, we do so in broken circumstances that cause us to believe lies as truth. And those ways of interpreting reality get established in our brains and in our thinking. And it takes a miracle, literally, to heal us, to save us, to change our thinking. It is not an overnight process because it has been established over years in our lives. So I want to talk about six different ways of interpreting and thinking that you may find one of these is your go-to. And you might have another one. There may be a couple that you can recognize or the person sitting next to you would recognize in you. And we might get you to think about that. So, the first one. Polarizing. In other words, things are black or white. It's right or wrong. It's my way or the highway. There really is only one way to load the dishwasher. And that is wrong. There is only one way to put toilet roll on a toilet roll holder. Definitely goes round and under at the bottom, doesn't it? No, you see. That's what Carol keeps telling me. There is only one way to iron a shirt. I got into serious trouble. Just trying to help Carol in her ironing early in our married life. Just dropping a slight hint to say, well, when my mother used to iron my shirts, she... (laughs) I know, already we're in dangerous territory, aren't we? (laughs) I did a lot of my own ironing after that. But sometimes, some people get caught up into this polarized thinking where everything is seen in absolutes and there are no shades of grey. It can develop a sense of sort of perfectionist thinking. 
It's all or nothing, good or bad, black or white, you're for me or against me. And living with somebody like that can be hard because we can be quite judgmental and exacting in our standards. In fact, sometimes our standards can be impossible, even for ourselves. And so we get angry, we get frustrated, we begin to despair, and we can focus on what's wrong in the relationship, in the environment, in the context. In fact, it can be very hard for us to feel that much joy. Even when things go reasonably well, we're dissatisfied. And when things do go really well, well, of course we expected them to, so why get too excited about it? That's the challenge of the polarizer. Often that, again, in all of these thinking patterns, they're going to have been shaped by our environment when we were growing up to some extent. So if we grew up in a family that was quite legalistic, rule-based, performance-oriented, quite critical, that can create a lot of insecurity in a child and fear, especially around criticism. So we avoid it at all costs. An unstructured home where there doesn't seem to be any boundaries where anything goes. Actually, just as a slight aside. Should I go there? No, I don't know. We watched this little documentary on, on children and, uh, last night and um, in Japan, they will let their children travel to school. In fact, they followed this six-year-old Japanese boy who had a commute of over an hour where he had to walk to a bus stop to catch a bus and then a train station in the, one of the busiest cities in Japan and catch a train and then walk to his school six years old on his own and they experimented with children in Britain just moving a slight distance across London to get to the eye and how shocking that was for us I don't know why I mentioned that but, it, but I was struck by different sort of expectations that we might have of children but what children learn and they were talking about how actually some of this presented an opportunity for the children to, to think differently, to, to solve problems. They weren't, they weren't alone. They didn't kind of leave them totally on their own. They were actually with another child or two. Uh, and there were people dotted around, un, unbeknownst to them. But to all intents and purposes, they were on their own. And it was quite fascinating to watch it. But if we're a polarizer or have a tendency towards that, we can be quite hard to live with at times. Because we can define things very simplistically. And we can be quite pessimistic. Like I said, hard to have fun, easily discouraged. And we can tend, when we feel attacked, remember, when we interpret things through our lens, we can attack back or withdraw. Now the truth is, is that life is more complex than this. Everything is not straightforward. The effort that we make is sometimes just as important as the final solution. It's not all about results. The journey plays a part in this. Some things are not black and white. There is mystery. There are shades of grey. Sometimes we have to look for the middle ground and each of us move because there are several ways of solving problems. And one of the ways we overcome this is by training ourselves and asking others to help us to look for the good and to focus upon that at times to look and explore other options and get help in gaining a fresh perspective. But that's the polarizer. As I'm going through this, think about for yourself, do I recognize some of that tendency in me? Where has that come from? How does that play out in my marriage or in my family, with friends, at work? Second one is the, um, 
the personalizer or personalization. And this is all about um, experiencing other people and circumstances as if it's a personal attack. When somebody says something, they're out to get me. I, I knew they didn't like me. We'd ar- I'd arranged to meet somebody. I'm, in fact, I arranged to meet. Uh, I can go here a little bit myself. Arranged to, another pa- arranged to meet another pastor in the valley this week. He didn't turn up. Be easy for me to go. But he never wanted to meet with me anyway. You see, we take an innocuous event and we interpret it through our own lens. And we tend to jump to my fault kind of thinking. And we see everything as somehow relating to us and relating to us in a negative way. It creates stress for us. We can lead to moodiness. We can be easily hurt or begin to blame others. And sometimes we can be seen by others as kind of a little bit sensitive because of those reactions. I've shared with some of you and uh, continue to find this. One of the hardest things as a church planter is is you give of yourself. I mean, you, you just put everything out there and you're inviting people to come and be with you, to walk with you, to be a part of a new community you're trying to create. And so when people come and seem to be invested and then suddenly leave, for, for us personalizers, that is kind of devastating. And we can, but we can still make the mistake of thinking, oh, it probably must be me, must be doing a terrible job, must have upset so-and-so. But we don't know, and we jump to conclusions about things. What I'm trying to see here is, you know, abstract truth is one thing, but relational truth is quite another. That is the kind of truth that these followers of Jesus, and particularly the ones who stood afar off, were struggling to connect with. Because he, I mean, what was he doing that was threatening in any way? But you see, from their perspective and from their orientation, he was doing something that was very threatening to them. And so, that we can struggle with the same thing. Now, Sometimes somebody who struggles with taking responsibility, personalizing, could have grown up in a home that was either very neglectful or highly critical. And, and as kids, we can be often blamed incorrectly for what has happened. I'm challenged by that. Sometimes think of our own kids when we had three children and sometimes battles would ensue. And for the sake of our own peace and quiet, everyone's to blame. Everyone's getting punished. And um, I just need some peace and quiet. But maybe two or even three are not to blame. But they've received punishment. We interpret those things. And we can interpret them by thinking, clearly something's wrong with me. We carry that. Some people carry that for all, most of their lives. In the home and in our marriage relationships and our closer relationships, a personalizer, we can find ourselves overreacting to things, creating unnecessary tension. Because the truth is, I'm not the cause of everything. Some things just happen. Some things are more about the other person than they are about me. Sometimes it's absolutely nothing to do with me. One of the things, I know Carol and I, we, uh, you know, both of us wrestle a bit, but I know Carol does at times, but we've kind of learned through the years that we do a time out. And sometimes we have to literally stop the conversation or the engagement and ask the question, are you upset with me? Have I done something? We've got to learn to check truth out because it might not be truth. 
I wish people would take the time to check out the truth of Christ. Just as we need to take time to check out the truth of what's really happening, the dynamics in our relationships. How do we overcome this? Well, we've got to be more discerning about what is really happening. We've got to look for some of the triggers that might cause us to believe something that might not be true. We've got to learn to look for some of that underlying pain or anger that might be causing me to kind of have a downer on myself and ask for help with others. So that's the personalizer. Any of you recognize that sometimes in yourself? The reason I'm, reason I'm reflecting on this because um, these things play out constantly in our relationships. We can both believe the same thing about Jesus, but this is different. This is about the dynamic of the way in which we respond to and love one another. And if we don't, in our call of Christ, which is to sacrificially love even our enemies, if we allow these thoughts to dominate us, it will hold us back, it will hinder us, it will cause us to walk away rather than engage to resolve and all sorts of similar situations. Third one, the generalization or generalizer. And that's the idea of it, if it happened once, it's always going to happen. Oh, I had a good friend once and they really betrayed me, upset me, turned on me. Can't believe that I would entrust myself to someone like that. I'll never do that again. All people. We we basically categorize everybody under that situation. And we assume that because something happened once, it's always going to happen. In other words, past experiences predict future outcome. It's unavoidable. And we live in this sort of deterministic mindset. And these sort of self-defeating thoughts will rob us of life and our ability to release life and engage wholeheartedly with others. In fact, generalizers can be quite cynical and generally pessimistic. Because remember, nothing's going to change. We live more with fear than we do with faith. It's hard for us to initiate care, initiate intimacy, call up because, well, I did that once, didn't work. Why would I put myself through that again? Well, you never know. Sadly, we can be quite alone. In marriage, sometimes this plays out with things like, it doesn't matter what we try, we're never going to get along. It's futile. It's not worth the effort. We tend to hold on to our past hurts and our rejections and almost allow them to define us. Now the truth is, the truth is all things are possible. I mean, we just, we just worshipped a God who was hung upon a cross, crucified, laid in a tomb, and on the third day raised through the power of God, as He said He would be by the Father. I mean, does that say that we do not need to generalize? Who expected that? Nobody. Who's benefited from that? I have. I mean, now we, we've all benefited potentially, but we only really benefit if we live as if it's true in all circumstance. This is the call of faith, you see. 
This is what's so challenging for those who want to control and create our own security by making alliances with Egypt, by going back to my old ways, by living as I used to, by, yeah, I'm okay with the God thing, but I'll make sure I've got enough money in the bank and nice things coming up. And So, in other words, we kind of add God into the mix. And it doesn't work like that. Things don't have to repeat. Things can improve. But it will require some effort on our part. And that's the challenge. I've got to start to risk something. And um, it can be helpful in trying to overcome a generalizing pattern of thinking to try to pinpoint what exactly is happening here. What happened the last time? How might I learn from that? Am I being truly honest with myself as to the circumstances? Uh, we've got some good friends who went through a very difficult, painful church experience. And, um, and out of that came, for the lady especially, almost a generalizing, I'll never entrust myself to another group. Really hesitant about visiting a church. Always on the lookout for the same thing happening. And uh, they became very good friends with us. And uh, just by having them in our home regularly, we had a house church at that time, um, sowing a different kind of spirit and energy and seeing that slowly there's been a breaking away from that. But this is, what, this is what pain can do to us if we allow ourselves to be shaped and defined by that, especially if we've grown up with that and have established ways of thinking. But the power of the Holy Spirit is to actually paint a different picture and future for us. Now, next one, number four, is catastrophizing or magnifying. We will magnify... Is the theme song of the magnifier. In other words, we make mountains out of molehills. We cry over spilt milk. There's a tendency to exaggerate everything. It's the end of the world. We can become quite volatile when we are triggered. Shame can overwhelm us, as can fear and self-pity. To others, we may seem self-absorbed, whiny, overreactive, I actually worked with a guy like this. He was the senior pastor and I was the associate. And, uh, and sometimes the reactions, partly because I'm, I'm the opposite end of the spectrum of magnifiers, <laughs> we'll come on to next. Um, I've, I've seen him stand up after a, a, a staff prayer meeting and just berate the whole staff because we didn't pray for him. That was a magnifier at work. Didn't realize it at the time, but it wasn't very nice to be around and sad in many ways. And often we develop some of this because we've grown up in an environment where things do get blown out of all proportion. Maybe there's been excessive discipline in the home compared to the offence. Maybe our parents are struggling with some of the same issues. But in our, in our lives and in our grown-up lives and in our relationships and our marriages, it's, it's hard to live with someone where everything is catastrophe where our energy gets sapped so readily and it's hard to cope. Now, the truth is, and, and, and life means engaging with truth, embracing, receiving it, that requires metanoia, which is the Greek word for repentance. That means changing my thinking patterns. And I need help with that. Everything is not a major event. A 50-cent issue requires a 50-cent response. People do sometimes treat us badly, but not always. 
We can get something wrong, but it's not the end of the world. And usually, we quit too soon. So, be alert. If you're, if you're a tendency towards magnetize, be alert for the trigger words of things like always, everyone, worst, no one, never. You see? Things are terrible. But think about why you feel like that. And we've got to learn to take captive those thoughts and start to receive a different reality with the help of others. Next one, two more to go. Minimizer. <laughs> Can you read that? I made it. I minimized it. I made it small. That's the essential characteristic of the minimizer. This is the way we deal with our pain and everyone else's pain. It's not that bad. It's just a flesh wound. Come back and fight. No, Monty Python fans. <laughs> Remember, I love that sketch. But then again, I'm a minimizer. You know, his arms dropped off and blood spurting out. Don't want to fight a one-armed man, huh? <laughs> anyway, we... Minimizers tend to deny their feelings associated with life events. We make light of emotional pain. Huh, that's the wimps. That's not true, by the way. That's faulty thinking. And like I said, we can minimize other people's pain as well. You know that half sort of Christian message of the victorious Christian life. Everything, you know, we've got to smile every day. We're riding the crest of the wave. Why isn't everybody up here with us carrying, you know, riding the wave? That kind of suited me in my minimizing ways. It's not realistic. We're not on the top of the mountain all the time. Sometimes we're down in the valley. Sometimes we're really broken and needy. And it's okay to acknowledge that. Significant events in life impact us. But it can be hard for us minimizers to even label emotions and what we're feeling. Except, of course, anger. That's, a, that's no problem whatsoever. But those other ones, those other slightly more vulnerable ones, we tend to be far more rational than vulnerable in sharing our needs and our feelings. In fact, we'll deny things that really do genuinely affect, affect us and put a good face on things. But that's half the Christian message. I think I missed too much of Carol's life and particularly my children's life earlier on in our marriage and in our growing up because of this. And that saddens me. And even today I can recognize, you know, if I give myself to it, I can overlook some of those things. And I have to discipline myself to enter into the space with other people and even allow them to do the same for me. When we grow up in a home that can be quite overly critical or especially neglectful, where we're just left to our own devices, or again, wrongly blamed, we can find ourselves going the minimizing route. In our marriages, so easily we leave our spouses alone, feeling lonely, frustrated, little empathy shown. It's not easy for us. And the truth is, some events need to be mourned. That's why we're invited to mourn with those who mourn. To comfort one another with the comfort that we have received. 
We need to learn that showing emotion is not weakness, but is vitally important if we are to become more healthy. It's not the same as losing control. And comfort helps. Finally, emotional reasoning. This is the notion that um, if I feel it, it's true. We confuse emotion with fact. We put feelings on the same level of fact. Such are the significance of what we feel. When a wife seems to feel that her husband doesn't genuinely care about what she's going through because she's not experiencing anything from him, her summary is, he doesn't care. And so we conclude, I'm fe- and my experience, I'm feeling uncared for, therefore he doesn't care. Whereas the reality might be, I'm afraid that you don't care. I think you might not, but I don't know. I've just assumed that. The spouse who comes home late without a good explanation of where they've been, and I've sat there feeling alone, worrying, immediately the feelings translate into, there's something going on. He's having an affair. He doesn't value me. You see, we interpret things through the lens and we jump to those kind of conclusions. That becomes our our reality. Now, our background can often be that we've grown up around parents who model this themselves. Perhaps we've witnessed betrayal, broken promises, the kind of I'll believe it when I see it mentality. For some people, it's been actually very deep emotional trauma and abuse growing up that generates so much fear in our lives that it becomes our reality. And we're left alone, no one to help us process that. In our marriages and in our close relationships, the emotional reasoning can lead to a lot of accusation, a lot of fear and mistrust because we're acting out our emotions regularly. Now the truth is, even though I feel it, it may not be the full truth. Feelings are just feelings. It's important that I learn how to express them but not totally depend upon them. To overcome, I've got to recognize they have a place, but they're not necessarily the truth or the whole truth. Can I notice when my emotions seem to be taking over and invite and ask somebody else to help me with this, to give me a perspective that I'm struggling to see because of my tendency and my way of interpreting my reality? So, six patterns of thinking. Where are you? Which one of those do you find yourself being triggered in your own thinking? You're a polarizer, a personalizer, a generalizer. Do you magnify or minimize? Or do you reason from your emotions and emotional reasoning? Here's the scary bit. Why don't we just take a moment with the person near us and talk about that. If you're struggling, you're really in the dark, if it's somebody you know, ask them what they think. They will have a perspective. They will have experienced you, you see, if they've been with you for a a little while at least. Come on, we're all in this together. We don't have to be perfect. That's that polarizing mentality. 
we're all somewhat broken and we need one another to help us press through our faulty thinking. So let's take a risk just for a few moments. Let me pray for us and then we'll uh, move on to our testimonies. This is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. The Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore he will rise up to show you compassion. The Lord is a God of justice and blessed are all who wait for him. Lord, we wait for you and we invite your word afresh and the word who became flesh to speak to us, Jesus, of the truth of who you are and who we are and of your love for us and your longing for our lives and our future. You came to give us life in abundance that we both experience and become givers of abundant life through your spirit. So, Holy Spirit, Spirit of Truth, break down these old patterns. Give us courage to face a new future through repentance and rest, through quietness and trust in you. Strengthen us, Lord. And release more of your fullness, we pray, for your glory. Amen. Amen. Bill, do you want to come?